0: Podcast Let's talk about the weather. Welcome to today's episode uh, of Odcast. We want to tell you how to read WMO guidelines right. And my guests today are Dieter Knaus, leader of R&D at Otto Hydrum at Fellbach, and Tobias Weil, our business development manager with focus on Western Europe. Welcome guys, and thank you for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you for your invitation.
0: Um, Recently, our organization gets a lot of questions around standards and uh, guidelines of the um, World Meteorological Organization, which is uh, the WMO. And based on those requests and our observations of the market, we thought that it's time to shed some light on the guidelines set by the organization. So my initial questions would be, for example, where can I find them and how do I, how do I read them right? And um, Tobias, you're in steady contact with our customers uh, since you're working in sales and in the business development area. What are your thoughts on this? Do people know what guidelines do they have to follow?
2: Yeah, good good question, Martin. I would like to respond to your uh, question in several uh, areas. First of all, many of our clients know the WMO, the World Meteorological Organization, as the some sort of highest-ranked uh, authority to provide recommendations for very high standards on meteorological observations and uh, on the the standards and specifications to use for the highest quality of measurement data. So um, if you talk with clients about highest standards, highest measurement uh, quality, they always refer to the WMO and to be more specific to the WMO guide number eight, where the highest standards or recommendations from WMO are included and it's easy to uh to find them on the web if you only type in on a search engine wmo um, guide Uh, you can easily uh, find the the recommendation and the the whole overview of all the different specifications that the wmo recommends um, to you for the highest standard as mentioned many of our clients know these standards uh, and also know that these are high uh, high criterias the big thing we should talk today about is if it really makes sense to uh, use these highest available standards and recommendations, uh, how the WMO calls them, um, for all the different applications and use cases where uh, our instruments, ours and others, um, are used or where you have a need for uh, um, measuring the meteorology or the weather in general, the environmental conditions in a way.
0: So, if I remember them right and I don't have uh, daily access to them too, um, but there are several levels of standards, right? We we don't talk about one uh, single standard, but uh, it goes from the highest quality or accuracy down to some lower levels. So, how do I know which one is the right for me? I think this is the question we should tackle today.
2: Yeah, and with that comment, you already showed that you, uh, um, yeah, you look for more details on the WMO. That is actually not the case for some of our uh, clients in the industrial world. Um, if you look look up for the WMO guide number eight, you can find one specification. What the highest. Um, Possible quality that is g- described in this WMAO guide number eight. And that is the tricky part. Um, it clearly states in this uh, document that uh, this is the highest possible standard and this should be used for uh, so called Mesonet type of uh, weather stations. So the highest quality, the highest standard to compare meteorological and climatological uh, measurement stations around the world. Um, uh, um, um against them. And here comes the but. But there are many other um, applications and use cases in the industrial world, like uh, road weather, like railways, like uh, renewable energies, like building automation, um, and you name them. So so many more uh, use cases where environmental data is required. And the tricky part is to build the bridge from the WMO guide, Eight uh, criteria, the highest possible um, standards or uh, recommendations for high-quality data, to the different classes that the WMO. And to be more specific about that, the the CMO, the uh, CMO is called the Commission for Instruments and Methods for uh, Observation within the WMO. It, you could say it's a it's a working group within the WMO. Um, they specified different classes of CIMO recommendation, CIMO WMO recommendations. And these classes are um, do not come on top of the WMO uh, requirements, it goes more hand-in-hand. Hand. These classes uh, describe different levels of quality. Also maintenance is involved, um, how often you need to maintain the instruments and the the calibration um, need uh, in addition. So it's... um, uh, 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 an overview of three different main criterias, and also the cost is involved in that. And it's a class that ranks from A as the highest, which is comparable to the WMO recommendation, so the highest possible uh, quality of measurement data, to class D, which is the the lowest um, uh, specification that uh, the CMO uh, working group within WMO specifies. And for all these four different classes, they see use cases in our um, world to to measure um, environmental data. But um, not that many uh, clients, especially from the industrial world, know about these different classes. They only know about the WMO Guide 8 with the highest possible standard, and then very often what we what we can see in the real world and in, in tenders um, about observing uh, measurement instruments that they use the wmo guide eight criterias as a starting point and then try to Further, um, yeah, uh, build their own use case into it. So they try to use WMO uh, specification when possible, and then uh, try to make it work uh, with their own application-driven specifications. And that is very often uh, a critical uh, point to to find anyone um, uh, in the measurement industry world that can fully comply to such tender specifications. So
0: does that mean or based on your experience, is it hard to find the CMO guidelines compared to the WMO guide 8? Is it just uh, popping up everywhere and people think this is the only guideline I have to um, refer to? So is there a lack of information or maybe education regarding the WMO in this?
2: I would tend to agree if you um, only want to get your job done and um, want to um, uh, publish a a tender um, and want to... to educate a bit with what the WMO uh, mentions, you type in WMO guide and you will directly uh, find your way through the uh, web to the WMO guide number eight where you are overwhelmed more or less uh, with all these different uh, specifications. and um, yeah, uh, a clear link to the different classes um, that uh, the SEMO working group defined would help for sure. But if it is always also about um, the the good connection to to customers, if you are early involved um, as a, a manufacturer of um, instruments of measurement instruments, you can try to educate the client about these classes that the CMO defined and that in May uh, is not helpful for a road weather application to specify WMO, highest WMO criterias as there is also maintenance and calibration uh, that comes uh, with such a high standard um, and also the costs by the way um, for sure and that such a high accuracy level or quality level in general is not always required.
0: I think this is a good occasion to bring our colleague Dieter Knaus into the conversation. He leads the research and development department in uh, our office in Fellbach. In so Dieter, I have a maybe a bit provoking question. Why, are, why aren't we just producing sensors that are always uh, complying with the highest standards?
1: I think that's uh, quite easy, Tobias already mentioned. Uh, main reason is the costs of course you can produce very uh, uh, high quality sensors but of course not uh, at a cost you uh, you are prepared to spend especially if you have to uh, uh, employ a lot of sensors for a network then you are looking for sensors which are fairly cheap with uh, with low maintenance uh, but also very precise so it's always a type of compromise and uh, you mentioned these uh, use cases and uh, this um, WMO guide uh, it's it's a guide for metrological instruments if you want to do very precise measurements of course then you are sticking to this guide and uh, trying to find the best sensors maybe price isn't that uh, cost is not that important but otherwise it's always a bit of a compromise and uh, even if you look at this uh, guideline number eight uh, there are also some uh, description on if you employ sensors in the environment uh, if you want to really uh, have all this the, the performance shown on your sensor then you have to be very careful what type of environment you are putting your sensor in since your result will also a bit depend on uh, where you put a sensor, for example, temperature measurements, if you put it close to a wall, uh, you can't expect having a, a decent measurement of uh, air temperature, since your big wall will always uh, influence the measurements. The same is true for nearly all these uh, uh, parameters, so you have to be very careful. And in most cases, as uh, Tobias also mentioned, it's not necessary, since... Um, uh, you you are forced to put a sensor somewhere at a special location, and so you are, uh, you can't have uh, big you can't have uh, big influence on uh, where to put it. So we have to be uh, uh, selective in what type of sensor you want to employ for your measurement task.
0: Is the setting recommendation part of a guideline? So that I need so much space, or I want to measure at such a height.
1: Yes, that's, that's the some. Uh, you can have a look in this guideline. It's, uh, it's chapter one. There's a classification on environment. I know it from precipitation. If you want to do good measurement, you have to go to a flat uh, environment, no trees, no obstacles around. Otherwise, you will have some uh, influence. And, and there are some uh, uh, examples on how big these influences are on your measurement results for RAIN example, but there are other examples on how to set up your measurement to get uh, good results and especially comparable results. That's another big issue. Uh, If you uh, want to be sure how good or bad your sensor is uh, behaving, then you need some type of reference. Then you have to be also very careful on how you place your instrument and your reference. And uh, yes, otherwise you you will get numbers which are not comparable at all.
0: So just to summarize this chapter before we dive deeper into the parameters. um, I can buy the most expensive sensor, but if I put it in a bad place, it won't measure correctly. Yes. So, there's more to consider than only keeping um, the standard from a technical point. Um, We measure, or let's say our sensors measure a couple of various parameters and um, some of them are, let's say, responding quicker than others and the uh, response time also one of the criteria in this uh, WMO guidelines. So um, before we jump into the detailed parameters, Tobias, can you tell me something about the, is there a trend uh, you observe in the market that people want tend to use the higher criteria in the tenders?
2: I would agree from the last one from my observations from the last 1 2 3 years um i i think there is getting more and more attention and education towards general standards and in the past it was more often the case that manufacturers have been um included in any sorts of um education and preparations for tender that is still the case that uh, several different manufacturers are in involved and uh, to to consult and educate in a way what is possible and not but there is a trend towards also more and more influence of the of the any sort of standard requirements like the wmo it is not the only one but for sure um one of the the highest ranked uh, ones, and um, at least I in in Europe could see uh, more tenders these days, um, where several different areas from the WMO Guide Eight uh, tender. Uh, or the specifications have been included in, in tenders where I personally uh, do not always see the need um, to go for such a high standard, which also involves additional costs for the end client um, compared to any sort of uh, a bit of a lower uh, requirement, uh, which always means uh, lower costs uh, on the short and on the long run, um, uh, including more uh, often maintenance and calibration, etc.
0: So, Dita, you, you are working in our research and department uh, team, so you're very close to the sensor itself. Um, what do you think are parameters that uh, easily can be handled by um, how can I say that? Let's say less elaborate sensors or more basic technologies, and where should the customer reach out for for um, for a higher complex or more complex sensor?
1: Oh, that's a, a tricky question. Uh, these uh, since the the technology we are using, for example, for temperature measurement or humidity measurement, it's, uh, it's a st- standard sensors. Uh, and uh, if you want to uh, really improve these things, you have to uh, go to a completely different technology. and that. Uh, makes a sense of very expensive but as we mentioned before in most cases that's not uh, necessary. There's still some improvements you can do, for example temperature and humidity you can improve housings, you can improve ventilations uh, radiation shielding, that's uh, things you can do but if you have some special needs for your measurement of course then you have to maybe think about going for a complete new technology, but that, of course, will increase the cost quite a lot. Uh, as an example, if you uh, humidity, if you want to have a very fast and uh, fast-responsive measurement, then uh, you have to switch from these uh, standard um, capacitive sensors, maybe to optical sensors, but they are not available on, uh, uh, on the market uh, and they are fairly expensive. So they're used for metrological investigations, but for this road weather sensor and other applications, I think there's no need to go for such things. And uh, there's another issue or point you have to consider is uh, the environment is usually very... slow changing so there is uh, no uh, no need for a very very fast responding sensor so it's not worth spending the money on this type of uh, of parameter the response time since uh, yeah it always takes time for the atmosphere to to warm up to change and so i think we are quite happy with this uh, uh, available sensors
0: So let's be precise on that. So um, the temperature, how quickly are our um, WS sensors measuring them?
1: Yes, this one, this parameter which we use to characterize this uh, time uh, response is the the time constant. We are around uh, 60, 70 seconds since uh, you need some time to uh, the sensor heating up, you have to consider the the thermal conductivity, the thermal mass of your sensor. So if you use, for example, if you would use a very small sensor, you could speed it up slightly. But then still, this, uh, all the cover around your sensor, uh, you have to heat it up. Otherwise, you will get some influence from this as well. So, uh, yes, it's it's a bit tricky to... But is uh, there,
0: Tita, is there any application which needs a faster responding temperature sensor than one minute?
1: Uh, the only thing I'm aware of is uh, if you do some atmospheric studies, but it's a completely uh, different subject. For environmental uh, measurements uh, like we usually uh, do, uh, I think there's no need for a faster response.
0: Talking about other parameters, there might be a need for quicker response. So uh, what could you think of Um When we talk about pressure, when we talk about wind, um, where do customers, even on these mass products or on these commercial devices like our sensors, uh, where do they need the quicker responding um, sensor? Uh,
1: For example, if you uh, want to measure wind gusts, or we had one uh, use case
0: uh,
1: uh, close to the railway, if they uh, go into a tunnel. Then you have this, this pressure wave, and if you want to uh, measure peaks, then uh, you have to have a, a fast responding sensor. And uh, For example, wind, these ultrasonic measurements are very fast. Is so, ultrasonic
0: quicker than the mechanical one?
1: Yes, of course. Mechanical one we are talking about is t- typical response time of... Uh, a couple of seconds, ten seconds, and this uh, ultrasonic—it's we are talking about milliseconds.
0: So this is the one we use in our WS yes, sensors that, and the ventures. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's standard. is ultrasonic measurements. You have no mechanics. It's quick in response, and uh, one other advantage is this—you uh, can measure very uh, low wind speeds, and it has a lot of advantages.
0: Okay, so. I have to admit that we're coming to an end of our episode, but um, I want to shed light on a topic that's maybe a bit uh, difficult to think of at the moment since summer has uh, taken over Germany now, Um, but let's talk about rain, precipitation, snow. Um, What is that? Um, when you think of different technologies, um, what are the more precise ones? What are the uh, more basic ones? What can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, precipitation. It's uh, for me. It's, uh, it's the most difficult uh, parameter to measure. It sounds a bit strange, but uh, in my experience, uh, it's very difficult. Since uh, rain, if you think about uh, summertime, you have these thunderstorms with very short rainfalls and uh, very uh, different size of droplets you're getting starting with big drops going to small drops and uh, the most precise measurement for me it's always if you collect the the rain collect and weighing uh, or whatever everything else it's uh, it's not that precise and uh, also this uh, fast changing rain makes it also very uh, difficult if you want to have short-term measurements. That's another issue you have to consider if you do some comparison of sensors. Uh, On what time scale you do this comparison. For rain, for example, in my experience it doesn't make sense to go below half an hour. Because otherwise you have too much variance in the rain itself.
2: That that's a good point, uh, Dieter. I would like to to add you to, um, uh, to this from from the real world and uh, talking to clients. Precipitation in, in general is uh, the hottest topic when you talk about the accuracy level, the uncertainty level um, that a client may may has. As you always need to educate um, uh, the the clients, the um, users at the end that precipitation is one of the hardest um parameters to to measure as uh, precipitation is not a linear um, uh does not uh, spread in a linear way and you have then many influences uh, in the real world and in the, in the field with uh wind and and so on you name them um so the clients should always think about the uh, an uncertainty level that you can see on the document, the specifications. Some of the manufacturers, as, as we, as our titrum, also do specify um, our uncertainty level for precipitation with um, uh, an addition that we uh, say that this is a laboratory uncertainty and there is influence from from wind and other factors in in the field Um, others don't do that some others and this is part of the issue that there is not always a a, a very good understanding and education what a a good level of uncertainty for precipitation measurement uh, looks like and the second comment i would like to make is that not for each application uh, and each use case for um, observing uh, environmental uh, data, uh, the uncertainty or the or the quality of the precipitation amount is the most important part. But many users would like to have it as an addition. But um, if you li- think about road weather or. The so-called weather critical operations, um, also aviation and um, railway, as another example, um, the uh, the the time uh, to get a first uh, measurement, also the, the the type of precipitation, are also very important parameters that are. I would say in many cases more important than the highest accuracy at the end to to have critical decision-making afterwards. So one example, uh, and I come to an end, I know we are getting towards the end of this session. Um, I think it's more important for uh, a road winter maintenance uh, decision-maker to get a a good um, understanding when it starts to snow, and not rain, um, uh, compared to uh, the highest level of accuracy on the amount of of rain uh, that um, uh, happened over the last 30 minutes or so. So uh, this only as as a real world example that you also should differentiate between accuracy and time, response time, for example, and maintenance um, need um, in your type of application. Yeah, that, that's the reason why we are offering a,
1: a bunch of sensors. If you have a, if you want to have a very precise measurement, you go for example for the, the blue view. If you want to have a quick response and some uh, measurement of what type of your precipitation, snow or rain, you go for a radar sensor. And between, you can use a, a tipping bucket. It's like for all sensors. It's very important if you know what you are, want to measure. If you know your measuring task then You have to can select the, the proper sensor, otherwise, yeah, it's always a bit uh, difficult to uh, uh, to compare these measurements at, at the end because uh, if you want to have a precise measurement of the amount of rain, then of course you have to choose uh, the, the blue view. And to compare these different sensors, uh, it's yeah, I think it's a bit difficult.
0: So there's definitely a need to define what is the current application and what is the information that I need, right? And if you want to listen to more about this, I can recommend to to tune into episode three, measuring amount and type of precipitation. We talked a bit more about de- in detail about that. Um, so just before saying goodbye, Tobias, what would be a question uh, you would? ask the customer before he gets to you so when he wants to choose the right type of precipitation sensor
2: i would ask um and i did ask that question several times before what decisions they need to make based on the measurement data and from that Answer: You can build up on the, the measurement task and the quality of uh, different measurement parameters. Um, you would need you to, to have to have proper decision making at the end based on informative data um, and uh, not only on on guessing or gut feeling.
0: This is not what we want our customers to do, right? (laughs) Okay, so thank you very much for this uh, interesting and insightful session. I learned a lot in this, and I think we have a lot of potential for a follow-up since there are so many parameters with details and various technologies. Thank you, Dieter. Thank you, Tobias. Thank uh,
1: you.
0: See you soon. Thanks.
1: Thanks. Talk to you soon.
0: Let's talk about the weather.